Romans 6, 12-23 Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that when, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefits you reap lead to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the summer, we are going to be spending our Sundays looking at the book of Romans, written by everybody's favorite grumpy Apostle Paul. Now, Romans is a book that is thought of in very different ways depending upon who you are. For many of us, it is just way too dense and occasionally off-putting, and much of it just goes right over our heads, which means that when we open our Bibles, we tend to go elsewhere. And don't feel bad if that describes you, because really, for most of my life, it was me too. However, for others among us, Romans is very different. It is life-breathing and deeply inspiring. I could rattle off a list of a whole pile of famous Christians throughout history who were unsure of their faith, who then turned to Romans and were revitalized because of it. For one example, Martin Luther, uh, justified by grace alone. That's Martin Luther's big thing, and it comes right from this book, and as such is largely the reason why we have Protestants making a ruckus today. If you dig through the dents, what Romans has to say to us, it is, all at once uplifting and inspiring. It is eye-opening and it is informative, but most of all, it tells us in a way that has never been taught since the Apostle Paul wrote it, who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, and what we should do now because of it. But even though it is all of those wonderful things, that still doesn't change that at times it goes either right over our heads or seems to be worded purposely to be off-putting. Why would Paul write like that? Well, here's my thinking on that. Who over the years can remember a recent graduate freshly home from university? Maybe a friend, maybe you, maybe someone in your family. 
All right, you know that thing that they seem to do where they use unnecessarily large words or they use them in ways that are clear that they understand that word in a very different way than everyone else does or they're just seeming to be pretentious all the time because of it? You know, like when I first came here as pastor, that college kid, that is who Paul is. He is a man who says 10 words instead of one and writes a book instead of saying 10. He is a man who does not shy away from using big terms and more importantly, specific terms. And because of that, often what he says needs quite a number of passes before it begins to make true sense. And as to the off-putting, Often Paul says things precisely for the sake of making a specific point. And unfortunately for us reading him, this often ends with us having a lot of hangups that are usually secondary to what Paul is actually saying, which brings us very nicely to today's passage. In Romans 6, 12 to 23, but in particularly in verses 15 and on, we find ourselves confronted with a block of scripture that in light of all that is going on in the world today, specifically in regards to Black Lives Matter, has taken on some unfortunate baggage. This is by no means even the first time that this passage has attracted negative criticism, though. At the, at the best of time, here in the West, this passage is one that sits with us poorly. We're a people for whom freedom is kind of a big deal. So for Paul to declare flat out that not only are we not really free at all, in fact, we are all slaves of one kind or another— to which to add insult to injury for us reading this today, he even at one point switches to using the term slave in a positive way, uh, which we're going to address in a bit. Well, all this combined means that it is understandable that this passage would not bring out good feelings in many of us reading it. But as I said before, Paul is a man who says precisely what he means, even if those word choices are off-putting to others reading it because of different understandings. I would say for most people, this is not a good characteristic of Paul, but it is a characteristic all of the same that needs to be wrestled with lest we lose the best commentator of Jesus who ever lived over things that he isn't even meaning to communicate. And so what is it precisely that Paul, talking like this about slaves, is meaning to say? Slavery is a concept that has gone through many iterations over the years. From its earliest examples, what a slave was, was someone forced into labor because they were the loser of some battle, or possibly they were the descendant of somebody who was. But over time, as the ideas of lending and debt really took hold, the primary source of slaves in society switched from prisoners of war to people who sold themselves or their families into slavery because they could not afford to pay the debts that they owed. Now, obviously, this is a summary of a whole big institution that went on for many millennia, but when Paul is writing in the first century of the Roman Empire, most slaves were some mix of these two things, but largely they were the second. Largely they were indebted slaves. 
The idea that we have today of slaves explicitly in terms of race, which is easily the most heinous form of slavery because it amplifies all that is wrong with slavery that we're going to talk about in a bit. And it says it is something internal to a person rather than a situation that they find themselves in, as would be more the situation of what a slave was when Paul was writing. That version of slavery really only came into its own with the rise of slavery in the New World, about 1400 years after Paul's death. And so it is safe to say that when Paul is talking about how we are slaves to either sin or righteousness in this passage, he is talking about slaves in terms of the way he would have understood the word, in terms of conquest, but more importantly, in terms of debt. To Paul, a slave was a slave because they owed their master, either their lives, as was the case if they were slaves because of conquest, or more money than they could pay, as was the case with debt slavery. They owed their master, and as such, they had to do what they were told to do. But while debt was how Paul most likely understood slavery, this doesn't for a moment mean that he saw the practice as good. Slavery in Paul's time is very much so thought of as a bad thing. It was very likely in the living memory of Paul's grandparents when Spartacus led his famous slave revolt that had thousands of people executed horrifically. 40% of the people living in the Roman Empire, by some estimates, including a huge number of the early Christians, were slaves, and those 40% were treated just horribly. To be a slave meant that you were on the bottom of the totem pole. It meant that you were completely controlled by others, and it meant that you were dehumanized, oppressed, the victim of rampant injustice, and generally just forced to be less than what a human being was created by our God to be. And it's this last point that Paul seems to be picking up on in this passage. In the Bible, we learn frequently that Christians are to see other humans as God does, created with worth and value, regardless of all else. Human beings are altogether made in the image of God, after all, and that is something that cannot be stripped from us, no matter how hard others try. And over the years, Boy, have they. This is why inherently slavery in all of its forms is wrong. Slavery is human beings trying to elevate themselves over others by telling those under them that they are less than human, whether they say that directly or just imply it. The Bible makes it perfectly clear, as does Paul in chapter 2 of this very book of Romans, that there is no world where our God exists, which is all worlds, where that behavior is okay. Even in the passages of the Bible where there is talk about how to treat your slaves well, this truth that slavery is wrong holds true. Most of all those passages were written during times where slavery was either assumed or imposed by the wider world on the writers of those passages, and it was at the same time considered A-OK to kill slaves just for giggles. So start from that point of view and then read passages about how you need to treat your slaves like human beings, 
And suddenly that puts a whole different spin on what the Bible is trying to say about slavery as an institution. Sadly, that didn't stop those passages from being used poorly to justify just all sorts of sin over the years. But all of this is to say that to Paul, this is what slavery is. These three things. First, to Paul, to be human is to have worth as people made in the image of God. And slavery to another human being is by its nature about squelching that worth because that is what elevating ourselves above others does. Second, to Paul, being enslaved to someone is to be in debt to them, and as such to be forced to act in a way that benefits their interests regardless of how it hurts us or hurts our own. And third, to Paul, slavery is all around him, as many of his friends in the early church are enslaved to the Romans and are suffering greatly and even dying in droves as a result. And so, if Paul precisely chooses to say that we are all enslaved to sin, and this is what he understands slavery to be, what he is saying is the following. To be a slave to sin is to be dehumanized, made into less than we should be, just like the Romans are dehumanizing the people Paul is largely talking to every day. To be a slave to sin makes us live as if we are in its debt, forcing us to act in ways we know we shouldn't, regardless of how we hurt ourselves and the others around us. To be a slave to sin, therefore, makes us less than what we should be and what we could be, because inherently that is what slavery does, and we are worth more than that. To be a slave to sin will, as such, ultimately only ever bring pain and death, a fact of slavery all too plain to those listening to Paul speak as he wrote those words. To us reading this passage today, this wording that Paul uses talking about slavery, it may seem tasteless or even an overreaction. After all, Paul is no slave himself. He is in prison when he is writing this book, but for the most part, Paul had a very privileged life. Because of that, it might seem like Paul is the equivalent of the guy who brings up Hitler to add an extra oomph to the points that he's trying to argue. But, but Paul is a guy who chooses his words carefully, for better or for worse. And so to Paul... This is what it means to live a life dedicated to sin. It is slavery. It is on the same plane of severity as he understands it. That same level of concern. For us to be slaves to sin is for us to be made less than human and forced to do things we shouldn't. It is for us to be treated unjustly at our basis level, to be a slave to sin and to be a slave. Paul is saying those two things are the same thing. No metaphor about it. It will lead to our deaths. Does it feel 
like in poor taste acquitting living in sin and something as horrible as living in slavery? Yeah, but is it what Paul means? Also, yeah. But things go on from there to get so much more awkward for us reading this today. For Paul tells us that there is an alternative. We do not need to be slaves to sin anymore. We have been freed from that to something new, something better. We have been freed from sin to instead be slaves instead to righteousness, slaves to God. And it's here where I think that most of us begin to feel particularly uncomfortable with Paul's choice of words, because if Paul is talking to slaves and is using the term with all of the intensity that I'm saying he does, well, that does not particularly paint things in a good light for God, now does it? But again, Paul is someone who, no matter how poorly what he says will be heard, picks the words that he means to use precisely. And so we press on to suss out what Paul means. And it turns out here is where that life-giving brilliance of Paul that so many have seen really begins to shine through. Because if what it means to be a slave is to be put under someone else in terms of worth, Well, if God is who our master is, then Paul points out, that leaves us in a pretty good place, doesn't it? Human beings are by definition made in God's image. We are under him by nature of our creation. God is God. Everything is under him. And so to be slaves to God puts us in the only possible position where we can still be fully who we were created to be. And as such, Act how we were created to act. Act how we want to act, not how we are forced to act by sin. Or to put it another way, God created us to matter. He created us with value. And to serve anyone other than God squashes how much we matter. It squashes our value because we are placing ourselves under someone else. Even if we try to be the masters of ourselves, the same thing happens because we are elevating ourselves in value to where only God should be, which inherently warps and distorts what it means to be made in God's image. It inherently makes us less valuable than we should be. To be the slave of anything other than God is to be the slave of sin because it causes us to be less than we were created to be. And as such, causes us to act in sinful ways that we do not wish to act in and that will ultimately be our death for all of the reasons I mentioned before. But by instead placing ourselves under God, the only one we are truly under anyway, as he is the one whose image we were created in, that is the only way we can truly recognize the full extent to which human beings are valuable. Only by setting God as our master can we be fully human, and because of that, in no way squashed, and because of that, no longer driven to sin. 
to choose to be a slave to God instead of sin. We can act instead how we want to as people following our good master. Under God, there is finally a chance to be fully human and to make sin and injustice and the death it brings a thing of the past. Under God, sin can be moved past because it is no longer our master forcing our actions. Under God, we are once again truly, fully human, led by Jesus Christ. And so the debt that guides our actions are finally being led for the benefit of the world instead of its destruction. Under God, the things that we do that we wish that we wouldn't and that hurt us so very much but we can never seem to stop can be moved past. And so... Under God, Paul tells us, there is true life. Boom. And that, that is why for all of its density, all of its occasional lack of clarity, all of its high-mindedness and often terribly off-putting choices of examples, Paul's writings in the book of Romans have changed so many lives. Is how Paul chooses to explain his point here clear? Not really. Is it problematic to a lot of people for fair reasons because of how it uses slavery as a metaphor both in a good and a bad way? Absolutely yes. And it has caused many people over the years to keep their distance from the church, taking the Bible to be outdated as well. And that is something we believers need to contend with when we share our Bible to our friends. We need to not excuse passages like this one, but instead spend the time to unpack them. Because more often than not, once you peel back the layers and find out fully what is being said, Passages like this one also completely are life-giving because in it you have an explanation for how we human beings can finally be all that we are meant to be. Not squashed under the boot of sin or anyone else, but instead under God, truly alive and free.